You've heard of Grammarly, and you might think it's a fancy spell check, but people on your team have been using it and loving it for years because it does way more than you realize. Grammarly is a secure AI writing partner that works seamlessly across apps and websites and can write an instant first draft in a few clicks, not a few hours. When every word your team writes is clear, concise and on brand, companies can save 19 days per employee per year. Learn what better writing can do for your company at Grammarly.com. Grammarly. Easier said, done. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. From the heart of where innovation, money and power collide in Silicon Valley and beyond, this is Bloomberg Technology with Caroline Hyde and Ed Ludlow. I'm Caroline Hyde of Bloomberg's World Headquarters in New York. And I'm Ed Ludlow in San Francisco. This is Bloomberg Technology. Adobe, Figma, they call off their $20 billion deal after clashing with regulators in Europe and the UK. We'll bring you everything you need to know. Plus, A-Rod's black check company plans a merger with satellite communications provider Link Global. We hear from the former New York Yankees all-star on the deal. And we'll take a deep dive into the world of, you guessed it, artificial intelligence. From investing in the space, how businesses are utilizing the technology, and the ethical concerns attached to AI. We'll break it all down, but first, talk to us about these deals. Yeah, well, the deal that's dead, Adobe and Figma mutually agreeing to terminate Adobe's acquisition of Figma, a $20 billion deal, as you said. Equity market reaction, Adobe up 1.9%. And it's interesting because the question is, would this have ever passed muster with the regulators? We'll get to that in just a second. The news being that Adobe pays Figma a $1 billion termination or breakup fee uh, now that the deal has failed. Lots of opinions out there on social media about whether this was a good or bad deal. Let's get the details and bring in Bloomberg's Brody Ford. I guess this is one of those deals and one of those stories, Brody, where you start with the why. Why did both parties decide to terminate this agreement? Yeah, I mean, imagine getting paid $1 billion to break up. Um, the reason, the big one, is just that it was taking so long, right? 15 months ago, I think we sat here and spoke about why Adobe was going to buy Figma, because it wanted to expand its kind of creative dominance to look at the app designers, the UI designers, and also just invest in a more lightweight product. But of course, regulators have been very skeptical of these deals where a big incumbent tech player will kind of scoop up a younger startup that maybe one day could threaten it. The sense is that regulators felt like they really missed the ball and not stopping Facebook from buying WhatsApp or Instagram. And they really wanted to kind of make an example here. And so they faced severe pushback in the UK, EU. The US regulators were expected to sue as well. And so there was a certain point where both Adobe and Figma said, 
we do not see a way forward here. I mean, they could have litigated this for another six, 12 months, mm -hmm. and it might have still not worked. So they decided to walk away. I mean, Dylan Field, co-founder, CEO of Figma, putting out a blog today, really talking about, what was it, the thousands of hours spent with regulators, and yet they still couldn't get this deal away. We right. can see that Adobe's rallying a bit on the news, but what is the future of Figma? This is a big VC-backed company. There's a lot of money to be made on this particular bet, and I'm interested that they still seem pretty positive about what they managed to basically put to market during this time. Yeah, the big question for us now is, are Adobe and Figma still on a collision course, right? Figma is growing rapidly. For those who aren't super familiar, Figma's really core market is the software that helps you design the way that apps and websites look. But they're expanding elsewhere. They've looked into more productivity software suite, kind of think about like a Google Workspaces kind of thing. They've looked a bit into image editing. Right, and so you figure that this is a capable company, a capable leadership. They've hired 500 people in the last year. It's not hard to imagine a scenario where they grow to challenge some of these larger software companies like Adobe. It's interesting. They talk about the huge advances in AI as well and yeah. how that is a area of focus for the business. I mean, look, we're all waiting for IPOs and exits, and this is an exit that's put on ice. Do you think this company will be going in alone and looking to build in the public market, Brody? I think it'll be a while before we see an IPO. I think, again, that Adobe was buying a fast-growing but somewhat still nascent competitor. Uh, I don't remember their revenue numbers, but, you know, they are rapidly growing. They're scaling. I think it'll be a while before we see an IPO. I mean, I've already seen, though, some theories out there, like, is Figma going to merge with Canva? Is Figma mm. going to get acquired by these other large software companies? So I think you're right to ask what are the next paths, what are the exits, because I think there are many scenarios for Figma here. Right, Bloomberg's Brody Ford on the collapse of the Adobe Thank Figma deal. Thank you. Staying in the world of deals, a blank check company set up by former New York Yankees all-star Alex Rodriguez is planning to merge with satellite communications provider Link Global. Earlier, I sat down with the CEOs of Link and Slamcorp to discuss. Have a listen. Link invented this technology. You go back to 2015 when the original idea was created, um, many people thought this was impossible. And we, you know, then invented all the core technology to connect to the standard phone already in your pocket with no change of the phone. People thought that was crazy thinking. Not only did we invent the tech, we then proved it. And we have three operational, commercially licensed satellites in orbit today. And, and we're operational in five countries. We proved it on all seven continents in over two dozen countries. And so it puts us in a great position to bring this service to the world. There's huge demand for this. This is a life-saving service with over 5 billion customers that have a phone today. Uh, Charles, you, you have the, the constellation, well, a small constellation up and running. You have the commercial deals in place. This is an area, just last week we learned that SpaceX wants to get into as well. Is there enough room for you and, and the likes of SpaceX to build out the sat to sell network? Well, absolutely. So let me explain why. First of all, it's completely validating that SpaceX wants to follow Link, right? We're the category creators. We invented this. We proved it. And there's a bunch of companies jumping in now that, that we've done it. But this is the key thing to understand. There's no one's going to get a monopoly. Um, in the mobile wireless industry, there's at least two or three winners. They don't let anybody get a monopoly. They didn't let Apple get a monopoly when they invented the modern smartphone. 
Uh, they pulled into existence Android within 18 months. So there's going to be at least two, maybe three winners in satellite direct-to-standard phone. It's going to be Link and one or two other companies. So that's a natural. It's best for the consumer and, and uh, just completely validates what we're doing. Yeah, Alex, really similar question for you. In a lot of the SPACs that I've covered over the last three or four years, the ones that have gone wrong is where due diligence was a problem. And I wondered how much of a concern uh, entering a market with Link with a big competitor or a potential competitor like SpaceX, how much of that was a consideration for you? Yeah, it was. And look, we, we are super disciplined and we'd rather not do a SPAC and take something public unless we felt really passionate about it. We're long-term thinkers and our core values are aligned. I mean, it, it's such an exciting space to think that this is a trillion dollar business annually opportunity and to connect the unconnected, to think that, you know, Charles and Link can connect over a billion people uh, more than we have today. And if you think at Amazon, if you think of Amazon, Ed, how they've disrupted the retail business. What Link is, is the disrupting business where you have these cell towers where you would need a football field or two to provide. Charles has created one that his satellites go in the size of a pizza box and then you send them to orbit. And over the next five years, there should be hundreds if not thousands of these up at orbit. Alex raises a good point, which is the industries you're trying to disrupt. But if you think about the end user, right? Me, the consumer with the cell phone, it seems to be the carriers, Charles, that you want to do business with. That is a key part of our strategy. We're partnering with uh, mobile phone companies, like many people here in the United States know Verizon, AT&T, and T-Mobile, but there's 800 around the world. And we are uh, going to be a partner with mobile network operators around the world. It goes directly to our business model. We are going, uh, set up as a trusted partner of mobile network operators, and it has huge implications for our economics. So we don't have to go sign up subscribers. We cut a deal uh, with a mobile network operator, and we instantly get a million to maybe 100 million subscribers. So our subscriber acquisition cost, because it uses the phone in your pocket, basically almost goes to zero. Uh, A-Rod SPAC taking Link Global and its CEO, Charles Miller Public, Caroline, all being well, valuation around $800 million, and they literally want to take on SpaceX. It's not a new story I thought I'd wake up to on a Monday morning. <laughs> There's been quite a few stories to wake up to on this Monday morning, and one of them, in fact, another market-moving story for us was the fact that Apple is halting sales of its flagship Apple Watch models in the United States. I'm going to bring you yet another sort of antitrust story here as well. Ed, what have you got? Right, and overnight in China, our colleagues reporting that the government crackdown on the use of foreign handsets continues across government and state-backed enterprise. And look at some of Apple's key suppliers. Broadcom, interestingly, now up 1.2%, have been lower early in the session. Other key suppliers seem to be moving lower on that news. We will have the details next. This is Bloomberg Technology. What if everyone at work were an expert communicator? What if every doc, message and email they wrote was perfectly clear and concise? Inbox numbers would drop, customer satisfaction scores would rise and everyone would be more productive. That's where Grammarly comes in. Grammarly is a secure AI writing partner that understands your business and can transform it through better communication. Companies that use Grammarly save an average of 19 days per employee per year. That's because with Grammarly's AI, what used to take a few hours only takes a few clicks like generating an instant first draft in your company voice or tailoring a message to your specific audience and goals. 
And Grammarly's personalized on-brand writing help is built in everywhere your team works, across 500,000 apps and websites. Plus, it's safe, secure, and already IT-approved. Join 70,000 teams who trust Grammarly with their words and their data. Learn more at Grammarly.com. Grammarly. Easier said. Done. Success is more than the final destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's discipline. It's teamwork. And it's the drive and passion inside of us that comes before all recognition. It's what Stiefel's been doing for over 130 years. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel's become one of the fastest growing wealth management and investment banking firms in the country. Our financial advisors go beyond traditional wealth management to provide clients with direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises and a leading middle market investment bank. Because success is the drive it takes to keep climbing, the passion to keep investing, the best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Start your journey at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. Okay, time for talking tech. And in the news, IBM has agreed to buy data integration platforms, stream sets, and web methods from Software AG for $2.3 billion in cash. The deal is expected to complete in the second quarter of 2024 and is an effort to strengthen its AI and cloud capabilities. And since time plunged the most in more than a year after its co-founder's death spooked investors already grappling with the fallout from slowing growth and U.S. sanctions. Time disclosed that its co-founder and major shareholder died on Friday after an illness. The MIT graduate and Hong Kong professor was regarded as a pioneer in China's AI sector, helping create one of the nation's leaders in facial and image recognition. Plus, more Chinese agencies and government-backed firms across the country have ordered staff to stop bringing iPhones and other foreign devices to work. The formal directives follow a general mandate from months ago and sets in motion an unprecedented prohibition that's likely to block Apple and Samsung from parts of the world's biggest smartphone market. Caroline. And there is so much to chew on when it comes to Apple today, Ed. So let's stick with the company that's also confirming it's soon going to be halting sales of its flagship Apple Watch models right here in the United States. Now, the move comes following an ITC ruling as part of a long-running patent dispute between Apple and the medical technology company Massimo around the Apple Watch's blood oxygen sensor technology. Let's get our take from our Bloomberg Intelligence, Anna Grana. And first, the watches. This is quite a major step, but basically they're anticipating an import ban here. Yeah, I mean, we were expecting, uh, you know, my colleague Tamlin's done a lot of work on this, that uh, there would be a settlement by now between the two companies. And, uh, you know, we still have a few days. Let's see if this is just Armstronging by both the companies. But, but let's see what happens. But we are, we are hopeful that there will be a settlement between them. The other story we reported overnight, Amarag, according to Bloomberg sources, this kind of government or public sector clampdown on foreign handsets in China, right? It started with, I think, Beijing and Tianjin. Now there are eight other provinces where state-backed entities or companies, government entities are saying, leave your foreign handset at work, buy domestic. Does that really impact Apple's sales growth or, or potential in China? 
Yeah, I think there isn't that much good news for Apple in the last several days. I think the the, the iPhone news is something that, you know, I mean, all frankness, you don't expect the government employees to showcase their iPhones anyway in the public. That's just been, you know, this is something you don't do for, for years. But I think the bigger issue at that time right now is Huawei has a new phone with 5G capabilities, and that's really doing well in China right now. And, you know, one reason could be that's a first upgrade in many years. But I think iPhone really is on a back. Um, you know, back foot at this point. So, uh, you know, when, when they report uh, results over the next uh, couple of months, I think uh, this is going to be the single most important question uh, asked to Tim Cook as to, you know, what's really happening in China and how should we expect, uh, because it is the biggest growth market for uh, Apple in terms of, uh, you know, phones. Anurag, Apple's up 50% year to date. The year's almost out. It fell 26% in 2022. What's the story going to be for Apple in 2024? So as far as we can see right now, I think the growth prospects are pretty tepid at this point. I mean, growth rate of 3 4 5% is nothing to really write home about. But, um, you know, one of the reasons people look at Apple is because of its, its, you know, what we call as a flight to quality. And with interest rates going down, that has helped some of the larger tech names. But fundamentally, I think Apple still needs to do a little bit of work to showcase that they can get back to that, you know, high single digit to low double digit growth rate. Uh, but we don't think that's going to happen next year. Next 12 months, it's going to be tough for them. We, of course, have seen that there's been this slight pivot from a supply chain perspective looking towards India and, indeed, looking towards India as a demand driver as well. Anurag, is that going to be some sort of a silver lining amid the pullback in China and a, a more difficult outlook for 2024? Yeah, I mean, in the long term, India is a very big growth market for them. That's no doubt about it. But that's something I think it's going to play into three to five years range. Over the next two to three years, China remains one of the most important things because the purchasing power of consumers in China still is a lot more than what it is in India. In India, if you look at the smartphone market, you know, Apple doesn't even qualify for 95% of the unit shipments because they are below $300. Apple doesn't play in that market. So while the, the population size is very, you know, attractive and very appetizing, but but the smartphone growth is is not there just from units at this point. Right, Bloomberg's Anurag Rana or Bloomberg Intelligence. Great to get your analysis on a lot of Apple news. attention to NVIDIA now and a really fascinating deep dive by Bloomberg highlighting the threat that AI poses to minorities. This is highlighted by two former employees of NVIDIA who warned the CEO of the consequences of artificial intelligence on marginalized communities. Thus far, NVIDIA has declined to comment on the specifics of the meeting that was conducted, but the company said it could, quote, continues to devote tremendous resources to ensuring that AI benefits everyone. Let's get to the reporter behind this incredible piece. Sinduja Rangarajan is with us. And Sinduja, it goes back several years to a meeting that they had with Jensen, the CEO of NVIDIA. And these two employees basically walked out feeling that they weren't heard, right? Correct. Um, Mashika Allgood and uh, Alex, uh, Alexander Sado, uh, you know, they were both uh, presidents of the blank, uh, Black Employees Group. But they work with executives and people from across the company to put together a presentation for uh, Jensen Huang, uh, the CEO of NVIDIA, about the risks AI can pose, how can we make AI safe, and the general topic about AI ethics. 
and they wanted to make sure that you know the company which is supposed which which they claim is you know going to be a major AI superpower in the future should do something about this have guardrails have processes and frameworks that make sure that AI is safe and they oh, sorry, and, and then they then they you know walked out of the meeting uh, not feeling heard and they quit uh, shortly after a part of this of not just the not feeling heard or, or basically an inaction by Nvidia from their point of view was the idea that it's in the people building the technology it's important that there's diversity within it right and you dug down into Nvidia's uh, workforce essentially it's hiring relative to some of its peers what did you find and why is that important you know um, Ed, there's a lot of research that says that you know particularly for AI but technology as a whole that uh, as an industry it's so it has such few underrepresented minorities that it's likely to miss blind spots when it comes to building these uh, tools that you know uh, are supposed to be the future of technology and uh, when I looked into Nvidia's you know diversity numbers uh, they were in the bottom two for S&P 100 for underrepresented minorities black Hispanic uh, mixed race uh, uh, people and um, you know it, it's important because research says that uh, if if you don't have these people involved in discussions as you're building products then you know you're likely to miss blind spots we read Nvidia's statement in response to the story at the, at the beginning of the segment but what is the net result of this reporting been what kind of action is Nvidia taking um, and, and has anything improved um, the you know the meeting happened a while ago uh, Nvidia claims that it's done a tremendous amount of work in uh, thinking about this issue and they've hired you know Nikki Pope uh, to run their trustworthy AI division they've uh, you know made sure that their data sets that the models are trained on are debiased and uh, they've put in a lot of work into making their models are transparent and not as black boxy uh, they have released something called as open Nemo guardrail which uh, is supposed to keep chatbots safe and on topic and appropriate. So they claim to have done a lot of work uh, since that meeting and since that time uh, to make sure that you know AI is safe and transparent. Because it's worth reminding people that these two employees, when they first went to the CEO Jensen, it was back in 2020, a lot has changed. A lot of soul searching among corporate America has occurred since, of course, the tragic death of George Floyd as well. I'm interested in ultimately that the real part of AI they seem to be worried about is facial recognition, correct? That's one of the big pieces, uh, and that was one of the things that they raised during that meeting. You know, uh, will there's a lot of research that says already that facial recognition technologies in general, uh, you know, don't identify people of color quite well. So this was just just generally raised. You know, if that's going to be powering self-driving cars, then you know what's going to happen. Like, what if they don't recognize people with darker skins or different kinds of people in general? Right, Bloomberg, Sinduja, Rangaraj, and just really important and deep reporting on video, a company that everyone has become so obsessed with throughout 2023.
Welcome back to Bloomberg Technology. Ed Ludlow here in San Francisco. Caroline Hyde in New York. Let's get a check on these markets because we're managing to hold firm in the Nasdaq. Stock's still managing to power on higher. Remember, we've had seven straight weeks of gains in the S&P 500, but still the moon music is positive in equities, even though in the bond market we're selling off a little bit as we get a little bit more caution coming from, from some of those Fed voices. We look to a BOJ, whether or not they'll be amping up some discussion of central bank policy as the ECB tries to say, look, you are front-running us on the idea that we're going to be cutting rates here. US 10-year yield currently up some four basis points. Bitcoin selling off a little bit after what has been a rapid run-up in recent months. Let's move on and look at the individual companies that are on the move. There is so much winding and unwinding of M&A. It's extraordinary today. You see Vodafone up 4.2%. These are the ADRs traded here in the United States of what is a European telecom juggernaut that's looking to tie up its Italian unit with that of Iliad in France as well. So keep an eye on that particular coming together and Italian coordination. I'm looking at Coupang, South Korean e-commerce company looking to basically save a down and out UK one. Farfetch, it was one of the pinups of the UK space. It IPO'd five years ago. It did incredibly well during COVID and then, well, didn't manage to make the jump. And it seems that as though those that are holders of Farfetch are going to be wiped out by this particular deal. $500 million of bridge loans going in. Coupang basically teaming up with another company to be able to buy this company out of administration. It's down some 4% on the purchase news. Illumina. 1.8% higher. This is as they are forced to divest of its grail. This is, of course, a cancer technology company that it bought. And look, once again, US really feeling that they had to not go forward with this particular bit of M&A, even though they fought hard. They are divesting of that particular asset, Ed. All right, let's get a deep dive now on generative AI and what's actually happened so far in the world of AI. Joining us now is Melan thompson Bukovic, Amazon Web Services Vice President. It's great to have you back on the program. And what I want to get into is detail. You know, I talked a lot this year about Amazon, AWS, bedrock, what's being offered. Now that the year's coming to, to a close, Mylon, what is the one thing that most customers have come to you and asked for? Customers all over the world, as you know, are looking to deploy generative AI at scale, but they want to do it responsibly. They want to do it safely. And so that really comes down to your data. What is the data driving your business today? And how can you put that data to work? As well as how can you do it securely, responsibly, by default? And that is just top of mind for CEOs all over the world, no matter what industry they're in. But is that specifically them saying, okay, we want to use Bedrock because we can access all kinds of third-party models or because it's a place they can build their own? I think the first reason why customers come to Amazon Bedrock is about choice. There's not going to be one model that every single customer is going to use. In fact, what we're seeing that customers are doing today is they're actually using a lot of different models for different purposes. I'll give you an example. Adobe launched a generative fill in Photoshop back in May. And generative fill is enormously popular with creatives. It's actually the most used feature of Photoshop. In fact, it's been adopted 10 times faster than any other feature in Photoshop history. And Adobe built that on AWS. And they built it using a variety of different models, large language models and foundation models, one of which they built themselves. And so when customers come and they use Amazon Bedrock, they're coming to Amazon Bedrock for choice. The ability to use the latest large language 
language and foundation models. The ones that we added just recently are Anthropics Claude 2.1, as well as Metazlama 2, and be able to take those leading models and use the tooling in Amazon Bedrock to deploy generative AI applications really quickly and securely on, as you say, Ed, their own custom data, their data sets that are at work today for their enterprises. How price sensitive are these customers at the moment, Mylan? Because we enter this period of AI exuberance at a time of economic realities where companies need to cut costs in many ways. Well, I think cost is always going to be uh, front and center of any large-scale deployment. And that's what customers are really trying to do with generative AI. They're trying to use generative AI not just to transform their customer experiences. For example, Intuit, which has over 100 million small business and, and um, uh, consumer customers today, Intuit rolled out uh, something called Assist in all of their Intuit portfolio. So if you're using QuickBooks, you can use Assist. If you're turning your mind to taxes right after the holiday season with mm -hmm. TurboTax, you can use Assist. Uh, and when you have customers that want to transform their customer experiences or use it to improve their internal productivity, they're going to think about cost. And I think that is one of the reasons why, you know, when we build our generative AI capabilities, we're also building at all of our three layers, the foundational layer, that middle layer that we call um, Amazon Bedrock, which is a managed AI services. And we're building capabilities called like EC2 capacity blocks. And EC2 capacity blocks work much the way that you reserve a hotel room with different beds, except with EC2 capacity blocks, you're reserving uh, GPUs. You're reserving hundreds of GPUs for when you need it in the future and then once you're done using it you yeah. can dial all those GPUs back because you want to save on on cost. Marlon, I know you're a thoughtful person when it comes to ultimately humanity at the same time as working within technology. You're someone who thinks a lot about Asians at Amazon. You're sponsoring women within technology and therefore I'm sure you're yeah. thinking about the implications of AI, AI more broadly and to that end when you are thinking about companies cutting costs how do you feel about the fact that we're going to either be augmenting humanity or indeed perhaps putting a few out of jobs. Is that something that you talk about a lot within the business? Well, you know, I think the world wants to be responsible in how we're using AI. Uh, for me personally, Caroline, I'm very excited about generative AI because for me it, it levels the playing field for data literacy. It brings everybody, as it were, to the data table. Uh, today, you know, if you think about it, the way we make sense of our, our world is often with numbers and um, we use spreadsheets and we use data queries, but there's a lot of people out there who don't have exposure to those technologies early on. And with generative AI, you can take a query and you can turn it into a question, a spoken question, and then to a spoken conversation. And so for me, I am very excited about the idea of generative AI rolling out, kind of unleashing the human potential that is everywhere by making this, the native intelligence of people um, and unlocking that, uh, you know, frankly, with the data using generative AI. Now, in order to do this at scale, AWS is all about being at scale. We've been doing AWS cloud services now for just about 18 years. Uh, we have to be able to do it responsibly. We have to be able to do it in a way where, you know, one of the top three data challenges that, um, you know, I, I hear from customers when I talk to them is, 
you know, like, how can I be my own best auditor today? Mm -hmm. This is a major initiative right now, right? Like the world of regulation has not yet arrived at generative AI, but you know it well. You know it well. Uh, and so what we do is we try to think about, you know, how can we build that capability, that audit trail, into our AWS um, uh, managed AI solutions like Amazon Bedrock by default. So if you're using Amazon Bedrock, as over 10,000 customers are, uh, you are able to get an audit trail for not just your user interactions with the model, but also how is the model making decisions. And that audit trail is logged and available for your use for any type of compliance you need. And it's using the same services that customers like FINRA use. They use um, AWS CloudTrail, which is uh, for, for audit logging, and they use it for their own compliance. That is built by default into Amazon Bedrock because we know the world wants to be responsible, but Caroline, is one thing to want to be responsible, hmm. it's another thing to be responsible once and twice, once or twice, but it's a third thing, it's next level to be responsible by default, to be responsible in an automated way. And that's what we're building into our AI services. Uh, Mylan, last month Adam joined me on the program to talk about next-gen Tranium, Tranium 2, but also the deeper relationship with NVIDIA. In the three weeks that have followed, can you give us any granular detail on how selective customers have been and how deeply they think about which silicon their workloads are being trained on? Fundamentally, customers want choice. And for us, you know, we've had over 13 years of a deep partnership with NVIDIA, which is going to continue into the next year. We've announced um, how the NVIDIA uh, Grace Hopper Superchip is going to be um, uh, offered through AWS. It's going to be integrated with our AWS Nitro security and virtualization system. Uh, but customers are about choice. And we have been building our own custom silicon now um, since 2018. We have four generations of Graviton chips. We have two generations of inference and machine learning trips uh, as well. And so our goal is to give AWS customers whatever choice they want, whether it's using um, our partnership that we've had with an NVIDIA for their choices or to, uh, to use our custom silicon, which we think gives um, the best price for performance as well as the right energy savings, energy efficiency that we know the world wants as well. Just at the forefront of everything we've been discussing throughout 2023, it's a joy to catch up with you. Thank you for joining the show, Mylan thompson Vukovic, of course, of Amazon Web Services. Meanwhile, coming up, that we're going to be continuing the conversation on AI and discuss some of the ethical implications, the ethical concerns of the technology. Alex Hanna, Director of Research of the Distributed AI Research Institute, going to be joining the show. This is Bloomberg Technology. What if everyone at work were an expert communicator? What if every doc, message and email they wrote was perfectly clear and concise? Inbox numbers would drop, customer satisfaction scores would rise and everyone would be more productive. That's where Grammarly comes in. Grammarly is a secure AI writing partner that understands your business and can transform it through better communication. Companies that use Grammarly save an average of 19 days per employee per year. That's because with Grammarly's AI, what used to take a few hours only takes a few clicks like generating an instant first draft in your company voice or tailoring a message to your specific audience and goals. 
And Grammarly's personalized on-brand writing help is built in everywhere your team works, across 500,000 apps and websites. Plus, it's safe, secure, and already IT-approved. Join 70,000 teams who trust Grammarly with their words and their data. Learn more at Grammarly.com. Grammarly. Easier said. Done. Success is more than the final destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's discipline. It's teamwork. And it's the drive and passion inside of us that comes before all recognition. It's what Stiefel's been doing for over 130 years. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel's become one of the fastest growing wealth management and investment banking firms in the country. Our financial advisors go beyond traditional wealth management to provide clients with direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises and a leading middle market investment bank. Because success is the drive it takes to keep climbing, the passion to keep investing, the best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Start your journey at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. Earlier in the program, we discussed concerns regarding AI's impact on minorities and marginalized communities. I want to continue that conversation and bring in Alex Hanna, Director of Research at the Distributed AI Research Institute, whose work centers on the data used in new computational technologies and the way in which these data exacerbate racial, gender, and class inequality. That Bloomberg report looked at NVIDIA, and one element of that was an analysis of NVIDIA's workforce, 8% of the workforce being black, Hispanic, or other races as a percentage of their total U.S. workforce, but that ranks them very low. Mm-hmm. NVIDIA, as Caroline calls the picks and shovels of the AI story this year, but basically the compute behind everything that's happened. What do you make, therefore, of that data analysis that Bloomberg put together? Yeah, I mean, that was a fascinating story, and it's something that's prevalent within the industry, especially in companies that are doing work in AI, Google, Microsoft, Meta, all the big tech firms focusing on AI development. There is a complete epidemic of just the inability to really hire and retain black, Latinx, and minority talent. Um, And that has big repercussions for the way that these things are developed. As the story that was mentioned earlier mentioned, um, there are huge problems and disparities on facial recognition technologies, but also things like voice recognition technologies. Um, How particular minorities are represented when we ask generative AI particular things. Um, The biases in text-to-image generation, they are really throughout the technologies. So that lack of diversity in the workforce gets reflected into how these models actually are used and uh, what they produce. One of the questions I posed to our reporter is, well, what was the result of this reporting? What did NVIDIA do? And we, you know, we read NVIDIA's statement on the story several times earlier, but one of the answers was to de-bias mm-hmm. some of the models that they worked on. Does that work? If they've already been trained and are in the public domain to go back and de-bias them, how do you respond to that as a, as a sort of fix? There's no actual way to completely de-bias a model. People can test for it, and there are methods for auditing, for red teaming, for ensuring that it doesn't have 
sort of catastrophic sort of results. But there are always going to be biases. Uh, for instance, more recently, there was some biases um, revealed in ChatGPT and in Meta's Stickered and AI, where there was biases against Palestinians, where Mona Chalabi, the journalist for The Guardian that used to be for the, uh, working for The Guardian, asked, do Palestinians deserve freedom? And it said, it's complicated. But when asking, uh, do Israelis deserve freedom, said, yes, everybody deserves freedom. So these biases can have a lot of testing, but they're always going to have problems down the line. I'm interested that we were just having a conversation with Mylan over at AWS, really saying, well, her perspective is that her clients are thinking, trying to think ahead of regulation, trying to think about compliance, governance, auditing. And you were just talking about red teaming and the way in which you can really stress test some of the underlying foundational models and indeed their application. Alex, are you finding that corporate America cares enough about this? It's really hard to say because the way that corporate America focuses on it, they tend to really not release what the results of those stress tests are. Um, the kind of transparency that we have into data, into the red teaming, into the auditing that we're doing, uh, that they're doing is pretty much a black box. We don't know what's actually going on behind the curtain. We've seen reports that Microsoft, Meta, and different huge companies have disbanded their responsible AI teams, even though that they're turning around and also say they have a commitment to AI ethics. And if they have, don't have any kind of transparency into what's happening at those companies, it's hard for other people, people uh, like DARE or other types of auditors. Uh, we're not an auditor, but there are many different types of auditors out there. There's no way to actually get in there and actually see what they're doing in any kind of transparent way. So the research community doesn't have the visibility. External auditors don't have this visibility. And so it's really hard to see if we can take them at their word. The question keeps on being one that we'll have to address in 2024. And for now, we thank you for helping us address it somewhat in 2023. Alex Hanna, great to have you back on the show, Director of Research at the Distributed AI Research Institute. Bluestone Equity Partners, you know it for its investments in sport, media, technology, the intersection. And its latest investment is going to be delivering growth in the world of sports, entertainment, how you consume it with its AI-powered video editing software. Here to talk us through it, Bobby Sharma, its founding and managing partner at Bluestone Equity Partners. Bobby, you've got plenty of expertise having sort of helped steer the growth and fortunes of plenty of sports outlook and, and develop the worlds of cricket, basketball and many others. What about this video editing? Is it Videoverse? How are they going to be making our consumption of it totally different? So uh, Videoverse is the company. Um, it's founded in India and based here in, in the US and California. Their flagship product is called Magnify. And what it does is it leverages artificial intelligence, computer vision, and machine learning to automate in real time the development of, uh, I should say, the curation of short form content and highlights from live and long form content like sports and even news. I can see the application for our particular industry, the amount that we need to be putting out long form conversations, finding the most pithy bit, putting it onto our social media and the like. Where is the uptick coming from when it's born out of India and America? Where is the client engagement? 
so Videoverse and uh, works with clients such as Champions League, um, the Indian Premier League, the massive success story. That is something uh, my former colleagues at IMG, uh, where I spent four years building professional sports leagues around the world, um, uh, architected for the Cricket Federation. They work with Wimbledon, the U.S. Open, the Australian Open, uh, even NCAA basketball and large Division One athletic conferences and schools here in the U.S. But what, what, what they do is essentially bring down the cost basis for something that historically required a tremendous amount of uh, human um, labor and time and something that required uh, otherwise, uh, from their nearest competitor presently, expensive data feeds. Mm. So they're able to uh, cost effectively and time efficiently put out highlights in real time to social media. Uh, the AI uh, technology also gives an ability to search content, um, uh, 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 video on demand type content for objects, uh, images, uh, plays, sounds, um, actions. So there's a, there's a whole host of video editing functions that are otherwise time and cost uh, inefficient at this point mm -hmm. that an applied AI technology like this is, is will help solve. Bobby, there is no greater agony when you're a sports fan <laughs> than when you are not watching a game. You're somewhere, it doesn't matter where, maybe your mother-in-law's for dinner or anchoring a show. And you, you, you know what's happened, but you can't see the highlight. But here's my question for you. Does the platform choose what's important in the highlight, or is it still a human saying, this is important, but the process of editing it is automated? I think that's the biggest differentiator between uh, Videoverse and its, its flagship Magnify uh, and its nearest competitor. There's uh, a human element involved with uh, other existing cutting edge technology that this circumvents. It, it's fully automated and through the machine learning that AI technology can drive the automatic curation and distribution of those highlights. So instead of waiting minutes or hours for that highlight, it will happen within seconds. So, uh, and again, you can imagine the, uh, the joy that can bring not just to you, but generationally Gen Z, Gen Z Plus, uh, which is increasingly become, becoming uh, a larger and larger segment of the actual audience and a way for sports properties to stay relevant um, as their traditional fan bases are starting to age. Um, that's the only way they consume a lot of sports and entertainment. So this is important as a matter of fan engagement as much as it is uh, to, to, to inform you about what happened. And in some cases, it'll be uh, creating fans uh, and monetizing different avenues that didn't even exist before. Well, third investment coming out of that 300 million fund. Love talking about it. Bobby Sharma, founder and managing partner over at Bluestone Equity Partners. We thank you for your time. Meanwhile, Ed, I'm sure you weren't trying to insinuate that your wife and your mother-in-law don't mind you watching some sort that of sport. That was a poor example like that this week of all weeks I will live to regret. Uh, that does it for this edition of Bloomberg Technology. Massive, massive week ahead. Don't forget to recap on the pod. Thanks for listening. From San Francisco and New York City, this is Bloomberg. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com.